0: Welcome to Learners and Leaders, the education podcast where all things literacy, learning, and growth are discussed. Here are your hosts, Huda Harajli and Jennifer Kibby. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to Learners and Leaders, the education podcast. I'm Huda, and I am joined by my good friend and colleague Jen. Hey Jen.
1: Hey, it's great to be back together again. Huda.
0: It is. Happy first day of August. Can you believe it? No, let's not talk about it. (laughs) I actually went back to work today. I had a month off. So for our listeners, we took a short break from the podcast, enjoyed some time off. Jen and I tried to practice what we preach in terms of self-care and work-life balance. So we took a little bit of time off from the podcast, but we are back and ready to go.
1: Let's dive into science of reading.
0: Yes. So to give our listeners a little bit of background, Jen and I gave a presentation in person in May at the Michigan Association of Bilingual Education about the science of reading. And literally, we had people sitting on the floor during this session. And that was kind of an indicator to us that this is a topic that educators and I think families and caregivers want to know more about. So Jen and I are deciding to take that presentation that we did in person and create a podcast episode based on the big ideas and themes. You ready, Jen? I'm ready. Okay. Jen, it seems like with education, there's always a new buzzword. There's always a new trend. Um, What is the science of reading and why does it matter?
1: So as we start to unpack and think about the science of reading, we can't miss the fact that we have been teaching letters and sounds and phonemes. This isn't to be misunderstood that it hasn't been happening as we start thinking about prompting in our classrooms and this idea of the science of reading is truly the study of how students learn to read. And we have known For years that without letters and sounds in place and that orthographic mapping piece, that students are not going to thrive. However, we have spent a great deal of time in education prompting to build story through picture, and you've heard us talk about that that you grab students by pulling them into story at their earliest stage. But it's just not enough. And so that's what I'm hoping today we spend time on when we look at the science or study of reading. And if we want
0: to get super technical, Jen, and I love, it's just the science, the research behind how to read. It's not your gut instinct as a teacher or as a parent guiding you. The science of reading, what is so beautiful and appealing about it is that it takes in, it's a vast body of knowledge and it takes research from education, psychology, special education, linguistics, all of neurology and brain science, stuff that maybe I don't know, but Jen might, but um, it takes all of this research in and it kind of packages it up for us in a way that makes us reflect on how we've been teaching reading. And I think as educators as a teacher, I still get offended when I feel like someone is questioning my practice or my intentions. And I think the work we do is very important work that's driven by the heart, but I think this is a really important like point for education and educators because There's this research that says the way that we've been teaching reading through a balanced literacy approach that does not have systematic phonics and phonemic instruction is doing a disservice to our students. And I think that's really hard for a lot of us to kind of of comprehend and move on. So luckily, we have experts like Jen in the field, someone who has seen so much research come out. About reading and has seen her own practice evolve. And she is willing to walk us through the science of reading. So thanks again, Jen.
1: Absolutely. And I think that it bears noting that we're not saying we were doing it wrong. And you touched on this, Huda. It is that constant reflective piece, as you stated, that we go back and we look through another lens. And you know, I don't want parents, caregivers, um, educators to spend time beating themselves up over. Because let's also remember, the majority of children will learn to read through good exposure. They're going to learn through conversation, they're going to learn through vocabulary, and doing some of the sorts of things that we've talked about previously like making grocery lists, those things are going to happen. It's simply the reflective study on when it's not working, what do we as educators, what do we as professionals in the business need to do to make it accessible to all? And I think, Huda, that's where we have come into play when we're thinking about students that may not have English as their first, second, or third language, that we really have to dive in and be careful about the work that we're doing. And so that takes us to this idea of balance and structured um, literacy and what those two pieces look like. In For education. Sure. And
0: Jen, I think the reflective piece is a really important one, but also being really intentional with listening. Because when Jen and I present about the science of reading, there's always someone in the audience that looks at us like we're crazy and says, these two want me to teach phonics all day. And what about comprehension? And we always come back and say, if a student cannot sound out, cannot decode, There is no comprehension. Our brain can focus on one task at once. So if I am struggling to read word by word or sound out some blends or put some things together, my brain cannot focus on the meaning because I'm busy trying to decode. And I I learned this, John. Do you know our brains don't actually multitask? They switch tasks. So they go back and forth, which explains a lot because I am the worst multitasker. (laughs) in the world. So using what we know about brain research and our little learners, we cannot make assumptions. And I think that's why people say, well, you want me to teach phonics all day? And I'm like a ninth grade teacher and I'm having none of that. What would you say to those colleagues that kind of get that panic?
1: So, you know, when we were together at Mabe, I played out a 30-minute lesson. And I think it's really important at all ages to look at what we can accomplish in 30 minutes. And I think once we have used the tools that we have to understand what a child learning to read has in place already, do they have letters and sounds? Is is it an issue of phonemes? Is it taking apart parts in words? You know, do they need to work on um, to sound you know two letters that make the same sound, so our, our digraphs. Um, where is it that the child starts to fall apart? Is it a meaning, structure, and visual piece? Once we have that in place, we can hone in on the needs of the child for a 30-minute lesson. Any more or any less, I don't think, as you said, the brain can take in. We're talking about when it's hard for students, not when it's an easy task. So you give them 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes of word work, vocabulary, new book introduction, and and always going back to the thing that the child can do well. So that the under push is always look at what you can do, keep it positive, help them to love it. Because we all know if we feel good and we love it, we're going to be good at doing it. So,
0: absolutely. So, Jen, I think that asset based approach, when you go into it with your learners, finding out what they can do, and then building off of those skills instead of saying, oh, yeah, here are all the deficits and here are all the things that the student cannot do, but finding out where their relative area of strength is um, and building off of that in our instruction, even in our practices, even as caregivers, as people who just come across children. Jen, balanced literacy has been around for like ever, and Publishers have made billions of dollars off of balanced literacy curriculum. Could you explain why balanced literacy is falling short for some of our learners?
1: Well, I think one of of the things that you touched on is that intentional and the gathering of data. When I look at a structured literacy program, Within a structured literacy program, you have those places where assessments take place, where the reflection is there, where the data is what drives student outcomes. Um, And I think that's the piece we've gotten better at. I mean, when I look at the almost 30 years in education and looking at literacy, I... I can tell you right now, I didn't come in knowing how to teach letters, sounds, parts, and words. I could hook a child into reading. I could make them smile, laugh, talk story, be positive. I could build bright, colorful lessons around that. But I wasn't good at teaching letters and sounds and parts and words and what students should do at that point of error. That's the practice that I have done as the years have gone on. It's also where I have found great value. And once a child can unlock that sort of phonemic mapping, orthographic mapping, the sky's the limit. And that is what we're finding with our EL students. They, many times, and this is a generalization Many times we can build vocabulary, but what we're falling short on is teaching how to take apart birds.
0: I think that just that is such a good reflection on your own journey as an educator, but also what we're seeing in practice every day. Jen, we had a student come to us who was 18 or 19, and you know we're very big on placing students in a developmentally appropriate placement. So he was taking, you know, senior level classes, biology, physics, those things that I have no (laughs) concept of as an elementary teacher. And he came to us and he said, thank you for treating me like an adult and not putting me in kindergarten because, you know, but he said, when are you going to teach me how to read? I want to walk down the street. And decode these signs. I want to be able to navigate life and read and decode. And I think there's so much dignity in literacy that very often we figure, oh, if they didn't get it in first or second grade, then it's done, right? We lost our window. And research has found, no, even older students, when given explicit system systemic this is a word I always mess up um systemic instruction in literacy can read and can decode and I think that is such a big thing is to give students that opportunity. Absolutely. Jim, what, what 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 is the shape for um science of reading or structured literacy? Is it what is the object that represents it? Remind me. Oh good question. Is it, it's an umbrella term. Umbrella. That's what it is. It's an umbrella. <laughs> and there's like seven components, right? And it's multi-sensory yep. and it has vocabulary and it has comprehension and it has phonics and it has phonemic awareness. So the argument that we're just trying to teach phonics is like false right out the gate. I have a question for you. As we are doing this, it's almost like a giant, gigantic shift in how we teach reading and there is no current really curriculum for science of reading you can't purchase it this is not a sponsored podcast <laughs> episode <laughs> how can educators let's start with educators first how can mm-hmm. educators learn more about the science of reading
1: you know there are so many places that we can dive in you obviously you can research online um you at There are all sorts, if you start to follow one person um, on Instagram, and you can listen, I would reach out to, and I said this when we were at Mabe, I would reach out to that person in your building that you're not afraid to teach in front of, um, that you're not afraid to dig deep. I am very fortunate to have people either in and out of my room during lessons or in my room sitting side by side and have had that for years um, that I think you have to be willing to be a little bit vulnerable and have people listen to you give a letters and sounds lesson, um, have them watch you. You know, I have um, parts and words on cards, and I'll quick flip through them so we're doing practice. And if I am not saying the sound correctly, or if I'm not matching it well in words, I want someone to make that correction, because I don't want to keep doing it that way if I could be doing it in another way that is better. So, you know, years ago, we used to teach the Naughty H brothers with a whistle um, and the stick your tongue out at your teacher for TH. But I want to check in because every year you might hear something new. And if you've got a better way of doing it, then I want to do it that way, too. So I think that's the best thing we can do for one another is make sure that we have administrators that recognize the power in working together. So as educator, I would say that's important. And then our parent component, you know, we are making great strides as we're moving further and further away from um, 2020. And as we bring our families back into schools and we share out with families, this is what it can look like at home. We can do that by a quick telephone call um, because, you know, how many shots do we have at getting it right? And and I'm a person that wants to get it right.
0: Absolutely. And I think for parents and caregivers, don't be afraid to reach out. Um, the Internet can be really overwhelming. So if you heard the word science of reading and you go onto the Internet it can be really overwhelming. So connect with someone at your child's school, their teacher, their principal, their literacy teacher, someone like Jen, um, and just say, hey, I'm really interested in best practices and strategies for how to support my child at home and reading. And they should be able to give you a really, really good starting point. Um, a lot of times local universities and colleges have um, volunteers or current students in their teacher prep programs who need to practice with students to get their assignments done and get field work done. So you might want to reach out to those organizations as well. Um, It should not cost a parent anything if parents have to go outside of our schools and pay for tutoring. We have not done our jobs.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I've been saying it for years and years and years. Do not spend your money on the outside programs. Come and talk to me. I am happy to talk till I'm blue in the face <laughs> about what things can look like at home.
0: Love Yes. It. You know, connect to those local resources. I know as a parent, I would spend thousands of dollars, even if I didn't have them, to give my daughter every advantage possible. But just know that your local community, local libraries often holds really good programs as well, but I always direct families back to their child's school because we are not just educating the child. We are here to serve our families and just connecting with someone um, just to kind of give you some starting points is really helpful. Jen and I recognize for our listeners the huge interest in science of reading. Um, hopefully this episode serves as an introduction. And we hope to come back in future episodes and really discuss more resources for educators and caregivers that can help expose you more to the science of reading. Jen, any last words as we wrap up our episode?
1: No, you know that I always say, um, read, talk with your children, talk with your children again, ask them questions about their day, Um, all of those things things and just make it fun make it light it it should not be a chore for parent or child
0: absolutely thanks john always appreciate your knowledge thank you are we doing a quiz uh actually i only (laughs) have one question for you for your quiz where are you going on vacation tomorrow
1: Oh, I am going to Boston and then on to Maine and we're going to um do some climbing in Acadia. So, I'm excited yes. about that. well. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Safe travels it, to you. Thank you. Be well and enjoy your sweet girl.
0: All right. Thank you for listening to Learners and Leaders, the education podcast where all things literacy, learning, and growth are discussed. If you like what you heard today, let Huda and Jennifer know by subscribing and leaving a comment, and we will see you again next time.